Anchored in Reaching is for curious people who want to explore the story that God is writing in history and who are looking for their own place in that story to find meaning and vibrancy in their life and vocation. I'm Kevin Manoya. Join me each week as we probe the edges of faith and living, always in relation to God who knows you best. For some, it'll be an opportunity to anchor yourself more securely in your faith. For others, it'll be motivation to reach out to engage more broadly. In either case, these conversations should encourage, enlighten, and challenge you. So welcome back. And uh, today we're going to spend some time talking about the descriptors of living the holy life. I promised you we'd do that in our previous episode as I laid the framework for it, describing the artist behind the art. And I also promised that we'd talk about particular descriptors. And I'm really glad that Susanna's back with me. It's always better, Susanna, when you're with <laughs> me. You know, there's something about the dynamics that go on. And I know that everybody likes that. So I'm really glad you're back. So welcome back, Susanna. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. I always have a great time talking all things theology with you, Kevin. And yeah, happy to dive into today's conversation. Before we get started, I know that. Um, Kevin probably has been saying this in my absence, but we want to encourage you to go check out the show notes. Really, this podcast is meant to be a resource for you, and sometimes you need to check out the links as well as listen. Um, sometimes there are additional resources that we reference that we want to be available to you, so those are always going to be in the show notes. And then also, as always, we love to hear from you. It's so fun when we get feedback and questions, and they drive this podcast. So if you have any questions, you can go ahead and email us at the email address in the link in the show notes. And I think that's all the announcements I have. We're ready to dive into some theology. Okay, thank you. And uh, today we're gonna we're gonna spend time on two of the descriptors, and then uh, Susanna and I are gonna kind of talk about these, and she's gonna fix the stuff that I mess up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we have two <laughs> holiness descriptors. I don't. I won't. Hopefully, have to clean up too much of a mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two well, holiness we'll descriptors that we're gonna be talking about today, and they are character and engagement. And these are two that I'm very passionate about. I know that they are important for church leaders. So if you are a leader in any capacity, listen up. We're going to describe those and talk about them. Yes, indeed. And these are really important. Now, all of the descriptors we're going to be treating over the next few episodes uh, of what what happens when a person uh, is walking in holiness or pursuing holiness. These are descriptors, remember. They're not prescriptive. They're not things that you put on your refrigerator and you try to live up to these. These are things that naturally happen when you are actively surrendering in a posture of surrender to the influence of God whose chief characteristic is that God is holy, his holiness. And when this begins to happen, then pretty soon you start seeing some some subtle and then so not so subtle changes in your life. And 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 these are kind of describing some of those changes. So please understand these are not a list of of things that you check off to achieve. These are things you look for, uh, as I described last time, that begin to take place in your life as you continue to surrender. So the process or the commitment is not to do more or to try harder to achieve these things. It is to surrender completely to the influence of God so that God's holiness is seen in greater measure in your life. 
and then these things begin to take place. And, and as Susanna said, uh, one of these is that your character begins to transform. And uh, the theological basis for this, and I'll try to do that, give you a theological basis for each one of these. The theological basis for this is the otherness of God. We call it God's otherness. It's more than just being different. God is completely other. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts, and so forth and so on. So when we start surrendering to God, who is other, suddenly our character begins to take on the nature of God, because when you hang out with somebody, your nature is transformed, and you start becoming like them in their very character. Well, you hang out with God, and your character is going to change. You know, after 43 years of hanging out with, with Kathy, my character is different because she rubbed off on me, and I'm a different person at the foundational level. Same thing when you hang out with God through Jesus Christ. Your character will be transformed to reflect the character of God, and God is holy, so you will be holy. So it deals with the otherness of God. And if you want to read a passage in Romans 12, you know the famous one, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. How does that happen? That happens by hanging out in the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And suddenly your character, your nature is being rewired over time. It doesn't happen just in a moment and then you're done. It's not static. This is a dynamic, continuous transformation that is always happening in our lives. There may be punctuation moments of crisis, you know, where all of a sudden something dramatic happens. Absolutely. But this is a posture of complete surrender to the influence of God, and then your nature is rewired to reflect God's nature. And, and now this is not, uh, because a lot of people think or, you know, they pursue a character transformation and they wind up in this isolated bubble, you know, of being a holier-than-thou person who's off in the corner kind of doing stuff that looks holy, and then all of a sudden they become proud that they're as holy as they are, and then they start looking down their nose at other people who aren't as holy as they are or perceived to be as holy as they are. At least they're not doing the holy stuff. And so it's very dangerous that we not think that this is uh, a descriptor that occurs in, in isolation or that it, that it happens and we, are, we, are, we become other and we become separated from the world or that we become separated from other people. This does not mean that we become an isolated bubble or an enclave of exclusivity and isolationism. A lot of churches wind up thinking, let's just circle the wagons and let's just be us holy people and, and, and we're not going to let the world find its way in. This is not building a defensive seawall against the incursion of the world. There are a lot of people that talk about, we got to build defenses against the world. We can't let the world win. We got to defend in legislation, in politics, in, in lifestyle. We got to build this seawall to keep the encroachment of the world from coming into us. Well, that's not what this is. This is reflecting the otherness of God within the world. And, and that's a really important piece because that segues into the second descriptor that I want to talk to you about. It is a character transformation from within, but it also compels us to an incarnational initiative to engage. And that's the second descriptor of responsible engagement. And the theological basis for engagement 
frankly, is the incarnation. You know, God didn't wait around for us to send a, an email to, to God and say, hey, we're in, a, we're in a pickle here. Please come and help us. Please come and get us out of this sin and get us out of this condition of brokenness. No, God saw our need and God took initiative to start figuring a way to reconcile us back to God's own self. And he did that through the law, through the priests, through the prophets, through the kings, through the judges. And Hebrews 1 says, in these last days, he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the means for us to be reconciled back. Jesus himself in John 14, 6, I am the way. No one comes back to God, to the Father, except through me. Those are Jesus' words, right? So God did not wait around for us to ask for help. God took the initiative to engage us. Well, when our character is transformed so that we begin to reflect a God who is holy, it will naturally compel us to engage. That's what God did. That's what we do. And we become incarnate. We become incarnational arms and legs of, of God through Jesus Christ. And, and so it, it propels us into active engagement with the people around us. And, and this is not somehow walking into a room with a sledgehammer telling people how bad they are. No, that's not what Jesus did. That's not what God did. God opened a way for us, but he does not force us to take that way. He offers that. That is the good news, the evangel, the good news of the message of Jesus Christ. Here is the way. Anyone who accepts this and anyone who walks on this way, they will then be transformed. They will be enjoying salvation, the Bible says, right? They will be saved. So these two descriptors begin to happen. When we pursue the holiness of God by an active will that surrenders, now all of a sudden our character begins to transform and that impels us to engage incarnationally with the needs that we see around us. And we begin to recognize brokenness and we begin to want to engage it. We begin to reach before we are asked to transform society, to transform culture, and not to build a seawall against it. So there's a whole lot more here that we could talk about. And and toward the end of this episode, I want to, uh, you know, we want to give you some assignments or things that you can do in maybe a small group. But but let me stop there because I know, I mean, I could go on forever and ever and then I'd have to take an offering, right? So, so we're not you know, taking transform- offerings on this no, podcast, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So character and engagement, those are two descriptors that begin to take place. That's really helpful, Kevin. Thank you. And I, I think this is just yet another example of how you need to have a full understanding of the Trinity's work in the world in order to have these conversations. Because I've heard so often throughout my life that God being holy means that God is set apart. And there's a degree to which that is true. And I want to talk about that in a second. However, the incarnation is God in the center of everything. Jesus standing in the midst of the brokenness. And so in order for us to have a full understanding of what holiness translates to in our lives, we have to understand the Trinity's work and God. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all at work in the world. I love what you were saying about holiness being 
other than, but I would love to just pause for a second and talk about um, the conversation about holiness being set apart other than and how that isn't necessarily being away from, which I think some people get in their minds as they hear that language growing up in the church. Yeah, that's true. And I think what winds up happening is uh, we sort of say, well, I want to be holy, and that means uh, that means set apart. So I'm going to walk over in the corner, and I'm going to stay there, and I'm not going to touch those people in the other side of the room who are drinking, smoking, swearing, doing all that stuff that I'm not supposed to do. And I, boy, that's not holy. So I'm over here, and it creates this. It creates this segregationism that becomes exclusive, and it's hardly a wonder people look and they call us holy rollers, or they call us holier than thou, and and that kind of stuff. And and frankly, you know, it's it's that kind of misconception about being set apart as being separate from and creating a seawall that actually, you know, I mean, a lot of people, they create these villages, they create these orders, they create these, I mean, even the pietists came to the United States in an effort to create a whole new society that was not contaminated, right? I mean, so it's like, come on, I, you know, you know, holy does not mean we build a fortress and we hide behind the walls. Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying, Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, you referenced the pietists, just a little American Christian history of how part of the reason that, well, I don't know how much we should go into that, but that's an interesting thing for you to study. There's a, uh, it's an article called the errand thesis. If you ever want to study the, the Puritan mission, the Anglican mission to the United States. Um, so we'll just leave that there, but it is true. A lot of what was happening there was a desire to purify the church from the encroachment of the world and a desire to be separate. And I do think that that is something that throughout Christian history, Christians have wrestled with this tension. So let's dive more into what it means to be set apart and represent the holiness of God in the world while being engaged. I'd love to dive more into that, Kevin. Yeah, so yeah, so I'd love your thoughts on that. I mean, okay. when you think of that, what what comes to mind and and how do we engage people? And and I this sounds really pejorative, but you know, how do we engage people who criticize us when we are attempting to reach a helping hand into the messiness of the culture of the world to engage? I mean, that's essentially that's where the rubber meets the road, right? I mean, so what do you think of when you think of these paradoxical things that appear to be in conflict with one another, set apart, Mm -hmm. but involved? That's what you're saying. I think of, yeah, I mean, it's difficult not to just turn immediately to the life of Jesus and the way that he lived. So Jesus being completely holy, but was very engaged in every corner of culture, including the ones that Christians wouldn't think they should be engaged with, right? So oftentimes people will talk about Jesus dining with Pharisees, dining with prostitutes. I always think about the woman who had the issue of blood. I think I've talked about this before on this podcast, but in Jewish tradition and according to the law, if you touched someone who had an issue of blood, then you were immediately unholy and you had to go through all the ritualistic cleaning in order to be able to offer sacrifices in the temple. Jesus wasn't worried about that when the woman with the issue of blood touched her him, touched him, excuse me. He was 
he knew that power went out from him. So his paradigm was that when I'm in the world, holiness, power goes out from me. I am not um, touched by the world and then that I'm tainted. I'm not tainted was his position. And I can't remember the exact reference right now, but even the conversation Jesus was having with the Pharisees regarding it's not what you put in your mouth and what you eat that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. And even in that conversation, Jesus was basically setting us up to understand that our posture in the world should be one of holiness going out from us instead of being afraid that the world is going to taint us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would concur with that. Um, it's in my way of thinking, it basically says if we have a sound, well formed identity, and that's an appeal back to the first series that you and I did on, um, you know, your, your identity is your anchor. If we have a well formed, sound sense of identity as a child of God, surrendered to the influence of God, then we're not going to be threatened when we are engaging the world. It's, you know, this may sound a little judgmental, forgive me if it does, but I think that when I see people and churches that are really are, are really concerned about getting contaminated by the world, it tells me they really don't know who they are. They don't know where their identity is rooted. They are insecure in their, in their even their Christian identity as sons and daughters of God, transformed by the nature of God, such that they think that by associating with things that are, are different, they're going to be contaminated by that. Well, that's just a formula. That's just a red flag for insecurity all the way around. Now, I know I might get criticized for that, but that wouldn't be the first time. I think that when a character is soundly formed and shaped by the nature of God's holiness— there's very little that is going to threaten that identity. Um, so, it, and it naturally leads to the chaotic messiness of engagement in a world that has gone awry, right? So, I think you're that's what I hear you saying. Yeah. And, and here's a question for you. I mean, we talked about character first and then engagement second. Do you think there's a degree to which it is important for someone to establish their identity? in Christ, you know, a new believer getting really rooted and allowing that ca- character transformation to take place before they go out and engage to a large degree. That's something that I remember hearing in youth group, you know, make sure you know who you are before you're going to those parties. And and I think there's a degree of wisdom to that. What would you say? Yeah, that's a really good question. And and I, and I guess there's not a formulaic answer to that in my way of thinking. I think these two things go together hand in hand. And obviously, we're, we're kind of segregating them for, for the purposes of explanation here, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in the time that we have to talk about it on a podcast like this. But in reality, life is a lot more integrated than that. And these things play off each other. Uh, so there are times, I think, when you know we may take a young Christian, or we ourselves, as a as as a as a Christ follower, we may engage in an, an activity of engagement 
that will fuel the formation of our soul at the deepest level. And those experiences have a way of affecting us. So in that respect, it's engagement that shapes our character. And mm-hmm. other times Psychical. we have these... Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, I go back to thinking about my own kids, you know, when, when, when uh, they would go to school. And I think I've told the story about, you know, I'd always ask them, what is your last name? Remember your identity. Uh, what is your last name before they go, go into the school? Because I knew that they might get bullied, they might get criticized, they might get isolated, they might get whatever, and even criticized by teachers. Um, but I knew that if they remembered what their last name was, then that was going to hold them secure. It didn't mean it wasn't going to hurt. But when they come home, then we process that. So when they engage with a circumstance, then we process that, and that engagement turns into a moment of building character. You talk to any one of my kids, ah, yeah, dad's always talking about it builds character. It builds character, right? Um, so I think there is a cycle that you alluded to, Susanna, that that sometimes engage. Now, what we got to be careful of is, and this is where spiritual leadership is so important, pastoral leadership is so important, mature Christian leaders in corporate environments, in educational environments, it's so important, and that is we don't push people to engage at a level that is going to cause damage to their faith, but we we understand that their deep sense of character and identity as a child of God can withstand the weight of this particular engagement. Does that make sense? So we don't Yeah, I think push that's what I was up. getting at. You know, yeah. it requires wisdom. Engagement requires wisdom and yeah. it requires dependence on God. And so, yeah, I like that like not encouraging people to engage to a degree that would cause injury to their faith. But at the same time, if we're not engaging at all, and if we're not taking steps toward engagement, then we're going to remain immature Christians who aren't, like you said, engaged in character formation because the Holy Spirit is using the world to shape us as well. Yes, I agree. So churches and Christians that put their full focus on character formation and being holy in the in the bounded set circle of isolationism in my humble opinion become irrelevant anemic Christians and anemic churches now again that's that's pretty strong language but I think that's a natural pattern when we push that 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 want lopsided understanding, character and engagement are absolutely essential, both of them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I picture a flower that isn't in bloom, right? It's closed in. And when the flower's closed in, nobody can see its beauty. It's it's just turned in on self. But when a flower blooms and extends to the world, that beauty shines through. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about engagement. If we're going to be closed in, we're going to not even be the full identity of what God created us to be in the first place. So we want as Christians to be flourishing, blooming outward as we stay rooted, obviously, in the soil of our identity and as we continue to grow in character formation. Awesome word picture. I love that. So in wrapping this one up, would it be okay if Susanna and I asked you to do a little exercise, maybe alone or with a family member or maybe in your small group or with your staff at the office. Um, So as it relates to character transformation, uh, 
stop and think about this as a descriptor of God's holiness being manifested in you. Remember, the act of the will is surrender to the influence of God, and then these things begin to show up. So when it comes to character, maybe reflect on areas that are the most difficult for you to surrender to the transforming holiness of God. What are those areas that you struggle most with to surrender? Because remember, that's the act of the will. And then when it comes to the side that we've just talked about in terms of engagement, um, reflect on this perhaps. What impulse do you sense when you see hurt, brokenness, or need in other people? What's the first impulse that comes to your heart? Is it revulsion? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it rejection? Or is it a deep attraction and desire to engage out of love? Think about those two things, and, and maybe that'll help you in your, in your small group conversations. Yes, and I'd like to add on a third question, which is, what is an area that you have been intimidated to engage with, but you feel like the Holy Spirit is pulling on your heart toward? And that might take a little bit of prayer and reflection, but I'd be willing to bet that for all of us, there's a place where we've been a little bit intimidated or even avoiding, but the Holy Spirit isn't inviting us there. So take time to pray. Yeah, that's a really good addition. Thank you for that. And um, we'll be back in, in the next episode. We're going to talk about two more descriptors. We're going to talk about relationships and decision-making. But uh, let me encourage you to check, as Susanna said, the show notes. And remember, you can you can look for the book by this title. There's a video series you can, you can connect with if you want to go deeper. And then, of course, we are happy to respond. So thanks for joining us. Look forward to being with you in the next episode. God bless you. See you guys soon. Let me encourage you to keep leaning into the wonderful adventure of becoming all that God has envisioned for you to be. Anchoring yourself in a secure identity, you reach with confidence to engage with people and daily life all around you. Allow your curiosity to explore and find God in the edges. Please take time to share this podcast with all your friends and invite them to join me in upcoming weeks as we explore together this exhilarating journey of being anchored and reaching.